No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, terrific. Language and writing were made available. He'll teach you everything. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Hey, I'm John. This is John Helps You Write Better. I hope you're doing well. Let's write better. But really, today what we're doing is correcting an error I made. Now I'm recording this not to pull the curtain too far back, but I'm recording this on Tuesday, not that long after um, I recorded the writer's chat for this week. And I made a mistake. I forgot to press the big glowing green button over here that records the audio as a separate track. So normally what you'd be hearing by now would be the audio feed from the pot, from the writer's chat as a podcast. Uh, except there, there isn't one. And um, that's my fault. Uh, I screwed up. So what I've done instead today is grab a few of the juicier questions and put them out for you kind of in place of the writer's chat. I hope that's okay. I hope you don't mind. It was one of those things, if you watch the video, it's up on YouTube. It isn't until like question 11 or 12 that I realized, oh, shit, I didn't press the audio button. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. It wasn't intentional. I, I, just, I just messed it up. So, I've got a couple questions from the chat for you, and I want to walk you through them. And one of the nice things about having your own podcast is that you can, you can just answer longer. So... One of these, two of these, three of these even, might get longer answers and more detailed answers than they get in the video. Okay, here we go. We're going to start with what is now on our list. Question number one, how do I build an ending? Uh, what does it need and how does it work? I don't, I don't think I did a very good job in the video uh, explaining this and, and walking through this. So let me try again. Building an ending for whatever you're making is incredibly specific to the thing you're making. Most of the time when I talk about how to end a story or a manuscript for somebody, I'm talking about using those specific pieces. So if we have two characters and they've done XYZ, I want to talk about those two characters and I want to talk about XYZ because endings don't really have, none of writing really has, sort of truly universal construction advice other than write the fucking thing and make sure there's a first, second, and third act. Make sure there's a climax. There isn't really like a one-size-fits-all super recipe. So when I talk about, well, what does an ending need? How do you make one? The, the shortest answer is that you're going to take the information that is left hanging and left available, un, you know, not yet finished, undone, except uh, the plot, because the climax should have already handled the plot. Whatever the, cli- whatever the plot of the story was, trying to get these two crazy kids together in a romance, uh, fighting off an evil wizard, saving the day, whatever the hell that is. The main plot's been solved by going through the climax, and the ending of the story starts the second, literally the sentence after the climax is done. So that ending is the resolution. It's the third act of the story. And it's going to involve all the components of story that you want. It doesn't have to be all, every single one of them. But it's going to be some number of the ones, the pieces left over. Oh, I want to mention this. Oh, I better wrap that up before the end of the book. Oh, I better do that one too. 
Doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter what order they're in. Just that you have these not yet talked about, not yet wrapped up things in the story. Subplots, character arcs maybe. Maybe both. Maybe just one. Maybe it's just world building. Maybe you're just talking more and having another nice scene before everything wraps up and and you're done. That's all fine. But I can't say for certain that that the ending has to have one because I don't know what story you're writing. The point about an ending is that it concludes or brings closure to whatever ongoing story stuff you've got. And maybe that's just a scene. Maybe that's two scenes. Doesn't, Doesn't matter. Just wrap up the pieces you have in some order. Now, just so we're clear, you don't have to wrap up every single thing. And you don't have to wrap it up in the order that it was presented in the book. You just need to wrap some of it up. And how do you pick which ones? You just pick some. How do I know what order to do them in? You just do them as whatever makes sense. One more note, and then we'll move to the next question. There's a tendency, I think, in a lot of um, poorly planned out stories or or overambitious writers where they have to go out of their way to write an ending that sort of leaves a cliffhanger or leaves this very obvious open-ended part so that they know there could be a sequel. Oh, dot, 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 who knows what will happen over there? Like, you don't have to force that. Yeah, sure, you can if you want, but you shouldn't have to go out of your way to have this inelegant, oh, by the way, there's going to be a book two big blinking neon sign you know, communicating to the reader, hey, there's going to be a sequel. If there's going to be a sequel, let there be a sequel. But conclude this book neatly, as neatly as you can. Maybe that's a page. Maybe that's a chapter. Maybe that's two chapters. What ending, what what conclusion to each piece do you need? It, can it be handled in dialogue? Can it be handled in exposition? Can it be a short scene? Can it be a long scene? Does it need to be multiple scenes? You don't have to wrap it up as fast as possible. This isn't like uh, a television show where, holy shit, we have, we, we have to be done in 22 minutes. This, this can take whatever size and whatever length you want, but do conclude. Make sure you tie off all as many loose ends as you want, and whatever that looks like is whatever it looks like. An ending works, just to answer the question. An ending works when it's providing some kind of closure for the reader. When they can look at the story, they can look at the arcs, they can look at the plot, and they can look at the characters and go, I am satisfied by what they what what happened and what the results were and and what the 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 success or ending was. I'm I'm happy for it having happened and being over. I can see a difference in the characters from how they started to how they ended, and I see that they did something, the plot, in order to get there. I either like it or I don't. That's what that's what that that's that's an ending. Anything more than that's going to require more specific information. On we go to our next question, which uh, from our chat list is question number two. So it's question two for them and question two for us. How do I get better at coming up with details for describing my setting? When it comes to putting my characters in space, I have a very hard time picturing anything, whether that's for uh, aphantasic reasons where you have trouble imagining stuff or just just a, 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 an inability to sort of see things forward or for whatever reason. The reason specifically doesn't matter. It's more just the fact that you're having the problem overall. 
This is a really common problem. This is particularly a problem that jams enough writers up that it really kind of uh, impinges their progress. Like they don't figure a way to work around this or cope with it or challenge it or do something with it. So they, they seem to stall out and stop short. They never really move forward with their publishing plans or dreams. They never really improve their craft. They just kind of stay stuck. And that's unfortunate. You don't need to. This is a, I'm not saying it's a treatable thing that you need to reverse through some kind of complicated external procedure, but it is um, something you can work with. It just means you have to work a little bit harder, and that's okay. Really, what we're going to do, instead of trying to fabricate a very active imagination and just sort of make the answers obvious and, duh, you just, just, what, what, pick it. You know, just just th think it in your head. Rather than kind of give you a brush-off answer like that, I want to come at it from the direction of we're going to make a lot of decisions, and we're going to make a lot of decisions about very small things, and we're going to stack them all up just by asking some questions, and, and that'll give you a rough idea of how to do this, how to lay out more detail. And this is going to be true for setting a room up or setting a scene up or writing an action beat or figuring out what happens or figuring out where to position the camera for the reader's benefit. It's all the same kind of stuff over and over and over again. We're just going to tap into bits and pieces of it. Here we go. The first thing we're going to do is just try and figure out where in time and space this scene is. And we're going to try and not necessarily be hyper-specific, but we are going to be somewhat specific about its location. So, for instance, uh, if if you're listening to this, I'm recording it in the office. And I, I, I said in the video, and I think it's, it's a really good way of thinking about it, we could zoom out and go, I'm on Earth, and I'm on this continent, and I'm in this nation, and in this state, and in this county, and in this city, and on this street... And I could keep zooming down and zooming down and eating up time and space on the page describing all that shit when I, I really don't need to. But I can say, I'm in an office. And then, rather than have that immediate snap-your-fingers decision of, it's an office. I know exactly what it looks like. What I want you to do is once we say we're in an office or we're, we're at a park bench or we're in a bedroom or we're on a boat or we're, we're in a cave, in a dungeon, in a maze, wherever we are. Once we can lock down some kind of initial boundaries as to where this scene is taking place, I want you to, instead of just grabbing random shit and detailing it, I want you to think about where the character is inside that space. So, John's in his office. John is sitting down in front of the microphone in his office. Now, we could talk about what kind of microphone it is, what color it is, how big it is, what it's shaped like. We could do that. But if you're having trouble grasping what a microphone looks like, there's no reason to get really technical and go, ah, oh, it's a Rode pod mic. It's connected by an XLR cable across a Rode, you know, uh, boom arm. That doesn't mean anything to you, which means it's not going to mean anything to the reader when you try and relay that information. It's just going to be, a list of brand names and, and prepositional phrases. It doesn't, doesn't help. So figure out where the, the character is in the room. Are they... And this is going to be something pretty straightforward. This is going to be something like we're sitting, we're standing, 
were um we're floating in space. He's he's moving across the room. She's climbing the stairs. We're going to think about this in terms of action. What's the character doing? Because they're not just going to be static, right? They're not just going to be like a store mannequin. They're going to be doing something. So figure out where in our boundary, where in the office John is positioned. And is John doing anything? Yeah, he's talking into the microphone. He's, you know, sitting there in the office talking into the microphone. Great. Now we're going to start... Just asking some very immediate, you know, questions around the thing we just said. John's in the office. He's sitting down. He's talking into a microphone. Okay, what is he sitting on? Is it a chair? Is it a stool? Is it a couch? Is it a recliner? Is he sitting on a uh, a small hand carved wooden statue? Just decide. He doesn't need to know, we know the reader isn't desperate to find out that he's sitting on this brand of chair, that it is X number of years old, that it is, you know, this, the, the fabric is this cut, this number die lot. No, nobody needs that. We just need to know, okay, he's sitting in a chair. Great. That's enough detail. What else? He's talking into the microphone. Where's the microphone? Is he holding it in his hand? Is it clipped to his shirt? Is it one of those earpiece things like you see with a concert that I've always desperately wanted? Is it... Um, is it on a little stand? Is it like on a big stand? Like you see a stand-up comic use? Is it connected? Is it just floating in space? Is it connected to an arm? You know, just answer the next immediate question until we have answered all the questions about where John is, where your character is positioned and what they're doing and how they're doing it. Beyond that, we just need to now make some small decisions about, okay, so if they're doing this in this space with these stuff, with this tool, with this object, is there anything that could be related to the boundary that might be an object nearby where our character is operating or doing something with their existing objects? So, for instance, I'm in an office. Okay, and I'm talking to a microphone. And that microphone has to have other stuff to work because otherwise you wouldn't be hearing it. So it's got a cable and it's plugged into to a soundboard and it's, it's a receiver. And then that receiver is plugged into a computer and that computer is also plugged into a monitor. And those things are all on top of a very large desk. And that desk doesn't have drawers, but it has a small shelving unit off to the side. And you're just moving a little to the left and a little to the right. And we're just asking, what's around the character? You're, you're going to use that character sort of as the, the center point of a, of a sweeping radar and just kind of picking up what's around them in the area. That way you're always sure that, you know, we're not getting lost in the details of, well, what color is that lampshade? Or what shade of blue is the wall over there? Like, those are nice details, and that's lovely. But if, if you're juggling too many things and it feels like you're having a hard time keeping it straight, or you're just plain not sure, it comes down to making small related decisions. And if you're lacking the confidence underneath those decisions, you're not asking the right kind of question because it's, it's not that big a deal. I know it feels like that because it's important, it's urgent, it's going to build the scene, but it's not that big a deal to say that, you know, there the, the desk is a mess of cables and pens can be enough. 
You can build, you can, you can take that detail of a mess of cables and a mess of pens and you can expand it out into other sentences. You don't have to stop there. We don't have to just go, it's a desk, it's messy. Because that's, that's not enough. But if we go, it's a desk, it's messy, there's exactly 11 cables for 11 different things. They're all black, they're all tangled together. There is a cat, the cat is exactly this tall and exactly this size, and the cat is currently you know, giving me the eye that I've stopped petting him because I started talking and gesturing with my hand. So, like, I don't need to go too far out in detail. I don't need to list every fucking thing in the world. I don't need to make the office feel like it is the most detailed set in the world. I just need to make the reader feel like they have enough material here that they can imagine some part of it to some degree so that they can see what's happening in the story. I don't need to tell you about, like, the the carpet. I can. I can just say it's carpeted, but I don't need to give you, like, the exact history of the carpet i don't need to talk to you about the different shade of 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 you know what color is that deep blue that it is um i don't need to tell you exactly about my mug full of pens other than to say there's a mug full of pens and if i don't tell you there's a mug full of pens and my character just grabs a pen and starts taking notes well then i guess there's a pen on the desk it's it's okay to do that but you have to make those decisions about what's around the character and what's going to allow them to engage with the challenges and opportunities and goals they have for the scene. At least get that far and at least craft those things in such a way that you're doing more than writing a simple sentence about there is a, it's here on the desk, that's on the desk. Because you're not, I mean, unless you are writing a book for an early reader where you're trying to get a a child to engage with language in a written form, so we're writing very simplistic sentences, unless that is our intended goal, we want to do more than just the basics of there's this, there's this, there's this, and we're done. So do more than that. Yes, we want to get more technical. Yes, we want to show off some flair. But it starts from that basis of I'm able to make decisions about what's in the room, what's happening, what's going on, so that I can get more descriptive and active and, and, and polished in my sentence structure. But we got to start with that simple decision-making process. That's how you get better at making more details. It isn't under, it isn't, you know, it doesn't, it's, how do I say this? It's not about like, oh, I can write a sentence with a semicolon that talks about this. Who gives a shit about the semicolon? I don't give a fuck about the semicolon. The reader's not going to give a fuck about the semicolon. What they're going to care about, what matters to them, is enough description that the room feels it's a place they can close their eyes and imagine. It doesn't matter if you can't close your eyes and imagine because we're going to cheat that by just making decisions about these objects and then putting those objects into some kind of space. And it, it isn't even like a, a space where we're going to quiz each other. Like, how far apart is the pen from the phone? I don't fucking know. It, it's nearby. I don't have a ruler right now. It doesn't matter. I can just tell you that there's a pen on the desk and my phone's on the desk. And that's it. And that's enough. But you, you do this by making some decisions. And you know what those decisions are because you've written them down. You've, you've written down the, the, the paragraph, the exposition that allows us to document. Okay, you brought up a phone. You brought up the pens. You brought up the cables. You brought up the cat. Okay, how, how can we better organize and present that information as something we'll deal with later? For now, just get it on the page. That's where we start with this. On we go to the next question. 
Now, for our next question, we're going to take a look at what was question number four on our chat list. Question number four is this. What are the biggest things that hold writers back from their own personal version of success? And I, I kind of rambled this answer, and I want to clarify it. So let's give this another shot. I think there are a number of things that we can divide into large groups and then break down. I think there are fears. I think there are expectations. I think there is just a lack of consistent education. And I think there's a lack of support. So fears, expectations, and two things lacking. We're going to kind of tackle them in that order. Fear-wise, that's the biggie for me. I think more writers are held back from possible success by a fear, a fear of rejection, a fear of you know, nobody liking their stuff and not getting validation, a fear of it failing and, and having no sales, a fear of it doing well and having sales and then realizing, oh, shit, what am I going to do? A fear of you know, that it's going to be difficult at some point, that all of a sudden it's going to stop being fun and turn into a job because it, it is a job. Uh, a fear of, you know, just it taking too long or it not being as rewarding as you as you think it could be or you not being as good at it as you believe. Like if you were like me and you were a kid who constantly heard that you could write better or, you know, you were writing better than any other kid or that you were really smart or that you could do anything you set your mind to or you could exceed or you should exceed because you were gifted or talented or whatever bullshit they sold you on. If you're one of those kids who turned into an adult who feels absolute crushing pressure anytime you are anything less than absolutely perfect, um, fear of success and fear of failure and fear of rejection are all tangled up in this because those are all fears that keep writers from going forward. The other, uh, the other fear that kind of looms around the edges is uh, a fear of response, not just rejection, but of criticism at all. A lot of writers do not handle criticism because they've never really had criticism. They've had a lot of people give them sort of tepid advice, like not even advice, tepid statements. Oh, it's nice. I like it. It's good. Sure. It's okay. That bullshit. As opposed to criticism, which isn't just, oh, fuck you. This is trash. This is garbage. What the fuck are you doing? But criticism more like, hey, you know you have a problem developing this scene, right? You know you're you're rushing your pacing because we're only in chapter two, but you're giving me major plot stuff. Like, you understand, right? Do you see that happening in, in other books you read? You said you read a lot of books, so do you see everybody diving into the plot on page 15? Are you sure? You know, criticism. Those fears or any other fear I couldn't think of that I'm mentioning now they really jam up writers. They really hold them back. They really slow them down because a lot of people get paralyzed by those fears. When they when they bullshit themselves or, or make an effort to combat those fears or deny those fears or avoid those fears, another problem they run into is even if fear isn't an issue, the expectation on them is an issue. The expectation that it has to be written at a certain level of quality right away. The expectation that it has to be done in a certain way, like there's a right way and a wrong way to write something. The expectation that it has to sound a certain way or be made on a certain piece of software or written at a certain time to a certain degree. Like I, 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 it, Back in the day, I used to write, you know, be able to write 60 pages in a weekend, and now I can write two. Well, yeah, that's, that's fucking life. It sucks. You can blame capitalism. The, the point, though, the issue, though, the element, though, are expectations came from somewhere. 
you, the the writer, saw what was going on in the world or absorbed information from somewhere else in the world and you decided that they were going to be rules. I don't know why they were going to be rules, but you decided that something outside of you is, you know, became the the guiding element to let you do this thing. These expectations will kill you. They will absolutely squash you. They they don't they, they don't um they don't help. The only expectations that really stick around that matter are the ones we take for granted. Like if you're getting published in a language, you have to write the manuscript in that language nine times out of 10. It would really help to have page numbers. It would really help to write it in a readable font. It would really help to write it according to submission guidelines. If you're going traditional, that you write it in traditional guidelines for it. Like, so if they want it double space, you fucking double space it. If they want it in a 12 point font, you put it in a 12 point font. You follow the rules for the way you're going to publish it. And if you're going to publish it yourself, you make it as accessible as possible for your reader. You pick a nice font, you lay out the manuscript or you have somebody do it. You get a cover, uh, you get it edited no matter how you want to get it published. You don't rely on your publisher to do your editing because you don't want to seed control too much too quickly. Like, all those rules we sort of brush off and take for granted, those are the ones that matter. All that other shit about, like, I heard on the internet that you have to do doesn't fucking matter. That's not how this works. Expectations are monsters. And one of the reasons why those expectations and those fears dominate so heavily and pervade and just seep and trickle everywhere and really affect and infect so many writers at so many different levels, stopping a lot of people from reaching even their simplest or earliest of goals is because there's a definite lack of consistent education. And I'm not just railing against the school system that no longer teaches grammar or sentence diagramming the way I learned it in school. This isn't a case of old man yelling at cloud. This is more a matter of people tend to consume their their writing advice from the internet which is dominated more by opinion and anecdote than specific criteria. Look at all the different hashtag writing community pieces of bullshit that talk about stuff like, um, is your character, like, does your character have a Thanksgiving? Or do they drink their coffee a certain way? Or would they, what would happen to them if they went to a museum? Which, I mean, you might as well ask, what do you think the bowl of cereal thinks about your spoon? Or you might as well just try to explain, like, I don't know, um, explain electricity to a roll of toilet paper. Like, it, it just, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you wasting your time like that? That's not writing help. That's not writing advice. That doesn't fucking matter. You might as well just talk about that one time you got a pimple. It means nothing to nobody. If the hashtag writing community really gave a shit, they'd be talking about writing advice, like substantial writing advice, like, hey, how do you approach a scene with two sources of conflict? How do you handle multiple person conversations? How do you feel about cliffhangers? Really provocative topics that aren't, you know, aren't salacious or sensational, but at least get people talking and thinking about their work and talking about their fears and giving them not just, oh, golly gee, you can pitch your book too. You can do it, thumbs up, pat on the head, while in the same breath also talking about, I have to be better to make sure I get read and you don't. Like, you don't have to blow that up. Like, that's not a thing. If you were serious about writing advice, you'd be talking about how to write better, not just what you wrote and not just how you wrote it or some vapid waste of my time bullshit. 
We'd be talking about how to handle climaxes, how to do a flashback properly, when to do a flashback versus not to do a flashback, when to move the story forward, why passive voice is okay, how to tell on the spot between show versus tell, and when to use each of them rather than just say it's all of one and none of the other. Like, that shit has nuance, and social media is not built for nuance. Social media is is the antimatter to nuance because it's all opinion. That lack of education me, it sends a lot of people looking at the same five blog posts or the same 22 pieces of advice heated up over 11 different blog posts. It, it just doesn't get us anywhere. There's not enough leadership in communities grounded in actually doing stuff. It's people building cults of personality or people just you know, getting together and, and saying they're a part of a thing, but there's no, there's no top-down leadership. There's no instruction. There's no expense being made. Like, I'm going to bring in an expert, and they're going to talk to you about how to write a mystery, or they're going to talk to you about a romance thing, or, you know, there's no focus. It's just, we're going to gather together and take up space on some server somewhere. There's a real lack of education. There's a real lack of support that way. And the other kind of support is intro writer between or I guess introscribal it's between all the writers oh golly good job you published a book is not enough yeah share and retweet because we live and exist in an algorithmic space but it it isn't enough there's real support in not just being able to say gosh it's really hard to write you're you know you you got it, it is hard to write like who cares go go eat a cookie together or something Real support comes from sharing work, sharing opinions, not being afraid that, oh my God, someone's going to steal my work, but making it about how can we build an atmosphere and an environment where it is okay to feel possibly stupid or ask questions that you feel embarrassed to ask. It, where, where can we build a space where you can at any time just talk to somebody about like, hey, how do I make this work? Does this paragraph sound okay? Does this scene idea work? Walk me through a plot one more time and and be as simplistic or as nuanced or as complicated as you need to be, as you want to be, without that fear of embarrassment, without that fear of judgment. A true supportive environment does away with expectation beyond the expectation of I want to help you and I want you to improve. I think those are the factors that keep people away from success, either by their own hand or by forces outside their control? It's a great question. Up next, question nine. How do I handle being jealous of someone writing something that is so good, I'm angry I didn't write it? And in the live stream, I, I or yeah, I guess that's what it is. I guess I can call it a live stream. I've never really stopped to think about that. During the writer's chat, uh, I framed this as, the, the jealousy is, is the issue and the anger that stems from it is the issue. I know the context for a lot of these people who use this repeatedly is, is more of, a, of a, an unserious anger. They're not like legit angry, but they are a little angry. They're a little bitter. They're a little frustrated. Uh, in, the, in the stream, I, I tried to pivot away from that and take them to a place of like, it's an opportunity for you to dissect it and see what you're doing well or what you can improve. And while I stand by that, I, I do think uh, when you read something that somebody wrote and it just blows your socks off, the thing you need to be doing after that is sitting down and rather than, you know, fuming and, and fomenting over it, you want to you see it as an opportunity 
to improve. But there's an assumption I'm making in this in the answering of this question that um, that you know what it is you you need to improve. And maybe you do and maybe you don't. Or maybe you think you do and you don't know if you're right or not. Let me let me allay some of those fears and, and point this out. When somebody writes a thing and it provokes a negative feeling in you, that's going to be about you nine times out of ten. It doesn't matter what they wrote. What matters is the feeling it prompts in you. If if you're just impressed by them and, wow, that's a really good sentence, awesome. It's, it's a positive for both of you on we move. But if you're looking at it and you're immediately feeling inadequate or irritated by it, try to identify what it is in the sentence that's that's provoking that feeling the most. It's not just the fact that it exists because that would mean you are angry or frustrated about everything, which is possible, but that's more of a therapy thing than a writing podcast thing. But if this is more a situation where like you are really angry that they wield language better than you do. They laid out ideas better. They punctuated it better. They wrote a more beautiful way of expressing an idea. You don't think you could be that articulate. Then the takeaway here, the opportunity here is to practice the way you shape language and practice the way you would say a thing. And how you practice that is to not just continue writing your story bearing some kind of grudge or holding something against them, but crafting and shaping your, your writing through repeated iteration. So take a scene and rewrite it a couple different times until you can see it more clearly or project it in a certain way or lay out a certain set of ideas. It's going to slow you down if all you care about or what you care about most is speed, which you shouldn't because it doesn't really matter how fast or slow you're going. It's more about whether or not if I just loosened up my assumptions about writing, if I just gave myself a chance to do more than just put my shoulder to the grindstone and, and, and just bully forward. If I gave myself a chance, could I improve my writing fluency and flexibility? Could I say things in more than one way? Could I try and be poetic? Could I try and be artsy? What does that look like for me? And my artsy and your artsy are going to be different things. And, and that's okay. That's, that's really sort of the, the whole point that we're going to end up in different spots. And you might wish and want to be more poetic or more dramatic or more cinematic or more something in your writing. And you can certainly make an effort to get there, but to do that, it's not going to require stubbornness. It's going to require patience and kindness to yourself, which makes it really difficult. I'm always a little off-put when when the the underlying tone of, I wrote something, somebody wrote something so good it made me angry. When that shifts away from being playful and turns it into like the, the preamble to a, to a sabotage or an attack, like you start tearing yourself down. I always get a little leery because as somebody who constantly tears himself down, that's me. Hi. Um, the, to see it done in other people always makes me stop and think about myself. You don't have to knock yourself down. You don't have to throw yourself against the rocks trying to be better. You just need to try more and be patient and understand that the writing you're doing now can be good but still not be your best. And That doesn't mean we have to constantly keep trying to get it perfect. It just means that we will continue doing it and continue improving over time. 
You don't have to get angry at the world just because they communicate and express themselves differently. You need to give yourself permission to express yourself more. Let's do one more question. Let's wrap this up with question 10 from chat. What do I do if I have an idea of how a story should be so firmly in my head, but I can't seem to write it well on the page? I don't think I did a great job answering this question in chat. I don't think I did. I don't think I said all I want to say, so let me say it here. Rigidity is a waste. It will kill you. Rigidity and inflexibility, I have a couple different opinions of it. None of them are good. One, I think it shows a, a kind of immaturity. Sort of, it, it always strikes me as like you've crossed your arms, stamped your foot, and, you know, like a little kid who wants a thing a certain way or wants a thing and, you know, the whole world's going to fucking wait until little Susie gets her balloon. That always strikes me whenever somebody's like, the story has to be this way. No, it doesn't. I understand that you wrote it. I understand that you have an idea of it in your head that you are attached to, but it it's not helping you to hold on to it so tightly because you can't seem to get it on the page that way because your where your writing is at, the skill, your level of craft, your level of care, how well you put it together, does not match the exactitude you have of the vision in your head because you are being overly critical of your craft and you are making the image overly precious in your head. Your writing, whatever you're writing, does not have to be the be-all, end-all. And the more rigidly and inflexibly you present the idea, the more you are enforcing the idea that what you're writing has to be a certain way. And you're the one making it. So you are functionally telling yourself it has to be this way or it's shit. And I don't know why you need to be so rigid. I don't know why you need to do that to yourself. It just, it doesn't need to be like that. You can change your idea. I understand that you're attached to a certain idea because, you know, it amused you. It was good. It felt nice. It was very creative. You're very proud of it. But at the end of the day, if that narrative construction isn't helping the overall story, or if it's just not something you know how to pull off because it requires that, you know, go back into part of your story and lay better groundwork, or you need to add or subtract a thing, and it's a massive rewrite. And if you don't want, if you are, right, if you want to do all that rewriting, if you want to do all that building, sure, go ahead, do it. Take your time, wind it back, try whatever you need to do, lay out whatever you need to do. Totally fine. But for some reason, I've noticed that a lot of people who hold on to an idea really rigidly, they're not interested in patiently going back and building a better thing. They just want it done. They want it done now. They want it done to the max. They want it done in a hurry. They want it done right away. I, I don't want that for you. You don't have to have it be perfect. It doesn't need to be one way and, on, and only that one way because only that one way will get you the response you want. You have to trust the reader to be okay with it not matching the idea in your head. What kind of control do you have to relinquish? What kind of space do you have to give it to produce a fluid idea? Because you made it up. You, you, you carved this statue. You painted this picture. There are times to be rigid about it. And there are times where you have to be willing to let your imagination take you somewhere. Or 
let yourself change it on the fly. It doesn't always have to be your way or the highway. And I think that's a, that's a, a set of nuanced elements that didn't make their way into the chat. Again, as we wrap this thing up, I apologize for not recording the audio independently to make this easier. I, I know I could have dumped this into an MP4 or, or whatever else and ripped the audio. Yeah, totally could have. Didn't occur to me to do that. I need to do that. I will correct that error going forward in the future. This one's on me. I hope you didn't mind me taking some time to pull out a couple extra questions and answer them. Uh, I, I hope this is okay. We will resume our discussion. Uh, tomorrow's topic is risk. We're finally going to talk about it in some way, shape, or form. So uh, I will see you then. Enjoy. Talk to you soon. See you.